0: Hello and welcome to Fitter and Faster. My name is Emma Kate Lidberry, your host and managing editor here at Triathlete Magazine. On today's show, we are joined by endurance coaches Joe Friel and Jim Rutberg, who are the authors of the recently published Ride Inside book. Joe has been involved in triathlon for more than 40 years and he's widely recognised as a leading authority on endurance sports training. He's also the co-founder of Training Peaks and the author of more than a dozen books on training and performance. He partnered with Jim Rutberg, who's a coach and former cyclist himself, to write the book Ride Inside, which is a guide to all you need to know about indoor cycling. In our chat, we cover all aspects of riding inside, as well as workouts, training tips, pros and cons of indoor riding and all the equipment, plus plenty more. You can use the code RIDEINSIDE for 15% off the book at VeloPress.com. Okay, here's our chat with Joe and Jim. Joe Friel, Jim Ruckberg, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome to Fitter and Faster. It's a pleasure to have you on. We're very excited to talk all things indoor riding plus plenty more. You're obviously uh, both experts in the endurance field. Start off by uh, Jim and Joe, both giving us a little bit of a background on who you are and what you do. Fire away, Joe.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I've been a coach since 1980 with endurance athletes. And I've written a, some books on training for triathletes and road cyclists and mountain bikers and people over 50 and all kinds of things. Um, and uh, basically, um, my life has been devoted to sport. For me, it's just very interesting. I, I enjoy reading research on, uh, sport, from sports science way my wife reads um, uh, various types of books that she reads, including books on uh, on cooking and, and, you know, that sort of thing. She enjoys reading those kind of books and she thinks I'm weird because I like to read sports science research but I find it fascinating. I've always, since I've been doing this since actually since the 70s, I've always had this question of why. Why do we train the way we do? How could we do a better job of training and so that's kind of been the driving force in my life over all the years.
0: Yeah, and you've obviously got more than a dozen books to your name. And uh, I think your name is one that's synonymous with you know, triathlon training, endurance training. And When people think Joe Friel, they, they often think about the training Bible books and uh, you know, the, well, the whole, whole slew of books. And, and Jim, you're no stranger to books yourself too, right? You've got nine books, book projects that you've worked on. And more of a cycling background, correct?
2: Yes, I started out more in the um, cycling end of endurance coaching uh, in the year 2000 or so. Um, and I was a coach for a, a, a little while and then decided I really liked the um, aspect of the business of helping other coaches get their messages out. Mm-hmm. Um and helping other coaches to um to write. So I've co-authored uh nine books, including this one with Joe. Um and yeah, it's been uh it's been really nice being able to to help coaches get, get the get their messages out.
0: Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the the Ride Inside book, uh a book from Velo Press that's uh, recently been published. You started working on this together a couple of years ago, correct?
1: Yeah, I had the idea uh, two years ago, and I, and I know people think I had, came up with this because of the pandemic, but this was <laughs> long before anybody even thinking about a pandemic. So about that two years blue. ago, it dawned on me there really wasn't anything out there about indoor training, any books on the subject, and it seemed like a, a, a great topic. I can see the trend even back then, two years ago, was was toward more indoor cycling and training, and so. Um, I started casting around, uh, uh, looking for, uh, first of all, a publisher. And Vettel Press came on board with me, which they've done with several of my books. And then we started the process of looking for a co-author, because I needed somebody with me to write the book who was much more uh, in tune with all the nuts and bolts of uh, hardware and software for indoor training. And that's where when Jim came along and... and uh, I chose him to be the, the guy I'd like to work with. He, he, he was obvious. He, was, he knew the stuff that was going on in the field. And he also had lots of experience with writing, was a good writer. And uh, I I'd, I'd read his books many, many times, several of his books. So consequently, that's, that's how it all came to be, was just uh, from an idea I had about two years ago.
0: Right. And uh, obviously, as, you, as you've already mentioned with the pandemic, I mean, obviously nobody could have predicted this happening, but indoor riding is now, has just taken off this, this year and especially in the last last few months. Do you, can you both talk to us a little bit about the, the role that indoor riding can play in a triathlete's training program?
1: Yeah, there's lots of ways it can be It can be a part of the churning program. The most basic way people think of it is, is as a way to, uh, uh, as a form of avoidance. Avoiding bad weather, avoiding early sundowns after work, avoiding traffic, um, that sort of thing. That's, that's the sort of thing we all think about or have thought about historically when it comes to indoor churning. But the worm has turned. We're now moving toward it becoming a way of training which has as much viability as any other form of training. So, so we've definitely – we're seeing a gigantic change right now in the way we think about indoor training. And so it's becoming a, an integral part of many, many athletes' uh, training uh, programs. Um, you can – for example, if you, if you live someplace where there are no hills – and you really want to do some hill-type work, it gives you some opportunities to do that. Or if you live someplace like I live where there is no flat and you'd like to be able to ride on flat terrain for a change, that is one of the options you have there also is to do indoor training on a flat terrain as opposed to going out and trying to back off on 10% grades. It's just not possible in that case. So it's, it's opened up lots of opportunities for people to do things but at the same time, there's lots of stuff which I'm sure we'll get into later on, which the athlete must be aware of when they start down this path of training indoors. So I'll, we'll save that for later on.
0: Right, right, right. But how much, uh, you know, with with uh, your typical triathlete, how much do you advise them training, on you know, riding inside versus riding outside?
1: Yeah, that, that's a real tricky question because there's just so much difference in people and, and uh, the equipment they have, what they can afford, what they can't afford, the train where they live, the weather where they live, all you know, the altitude where they live—all these things are variables that a person has to decide for themselves. And it's probably the starting point for most of this for most people when you first decide to get into it is, is the cost. It's by no means cheap. You're just not going out and buying, you know, a, a new set of tires for your bike. This is this is a this is a, a, an expense which is some folks can find to be uh, uh, Something that stops the whole process and right there. You can buy a much cheaper trainer, far cheaper than the best trainers in the market, but they're not going to be nearly as good either. You're not going to get nearly as much value out of them as you would with the more expensive models. So there's, there's a lot to be said about this. And I really can't, it's kind of like talking about how much volume should somebody train, how much intensity should somebody do. You know, there's just too many variables. It, it's not really possible to talk about that. in in numbers that fit everybody or even come close to fitting everybody. Every athlete has to decide for themselves what is best for my situation, given all these variables. What can I be doing to improve my training by having an indoor option?
2: But one of the things that we talked about, that Joe and I talked about early on was um, the idea that, especially for newer athletes, The best thing a coach can do for an athlete who's new to the sport or new for new to coaching um, is getting them to be more consistent. If we can get somebody to train um, to complete more of the workouts that are prescribed, or just add workouts uh, to the year every you know more every month, more every year, they're going to get better. And indoor cycling um, opportunities have really given people a chance to increase their monthly and annual. Um, training workload because of the convenience, because of, they're able to train at, at all hours of day and night, um, in all weather conditions, things like that.
0: Right, because coaches universally agree. I think, I think, and I think you guys would hopefully agree with this that consistency is the cornerstone of of all athletes' uh, success. And uh, you know, here we are in Boulder today. The snows just started coming down. You know, not many people will be riding outside today. So if you've got a two or three hour ride plan for this afternoon, or wh- what have you. Obviously, riding indoors is pretty much your only option unless you're extremely hardy. Um, so, yeah, talk to us a little bit about how how you can really maximize the trainer to, I think, because I think there's definitely been an evolution, right, when it comes to riding inside. We've gone from a time, as you already mentioned, Joe, at a time when riding indoors was simply about escaping weather. I definitely used to do that in the UK, for example, you know, from this time of year all the way through to March, April, oftentimes. Um, Whereas now riding indoors is about getting the most bang. I think oftentimes triathletes think about it as getting the most bang for their buck. Like I've got 60 minutes, I've got 90 minutes, go. So talk to us a little bit about that and that evolution that we've seen in indoor riding.
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, it really has changed dramatically. I first started riding indoors back, gosh, uh, early 1980s. And, um, you know, it was, it was a miserable experience is one of the, It's one of the things (laughs) I remember most that I hated about training was back then, even into the 90s, actually late 90s, getting onto an indoor trainer because it was snowing outside or I'd run out of time, the sun's gone down, whatever it may be, and thinking you're going to be on that thing for three hours, and it's just going to be misery for three hours. I can recall watching Tour de France, you know, VHR, VH, what do we call it, VH?
0: VHS, Yeah.
1: Videos. (laughs) Videos. <laughs> I can recall doing that back in the 80s, you know, watching Greg LeMond race the Tour de France. And I'd have several years it stacked up in my machine, my DVR, so I could, I could watch all of these. And in those days, the coverage wasn't very good. So you only got like 30 minutes once a day plus an hour on the weekend. And so I meant you had a lot of videos, a lot of very short videos to watch from those days. Now it's, you know, it's, it's practically the entire race is on TV every day, but it wasn't that way back in yeah. the day at all. So it was a miserable experience. And now it's changed dramatically to the point that people can take advantage of this to, to improve their performance, improve their, their training in, in many, many different ways, uh, as we've already mentioned some of these ways. But, but it's it certainly um, um, a, a new way of looking at training, which has, uh, which has already changed the way we're training. And it's going to continue to do that as these trainers and as the apps get better. It's becoming more realistic all the time to ride indoors um, so you can, you can do things that were never deemed possible before, uh, like change terrain or change um, uh, even temperature. You can change a hot environment or change train in a cool environment, um, no matter what the weather is like where you may be living at that moment. So there's just so many possibilities. It just, it just opens up new avenues for athletes to be able to train in, in uh, different, more effective ways.
2: I think we're going to see athletes. um, We've already seen athletes who are pretty much indoor only. Uh, You know, when we wrote the book, it was we predominantly were talking to um, athletes who are training indoors, probably for outdoor events. But we're going to get to the point where it's not an alternative to outdoors. But some people are primarily indoors, Um, and and that's going to be a something that coaches are going to have to. Adapt to as well as recognizing that it, indoor cycling is an is a sport unto itself, not necessarily just uh, an alternative to riding outdoors.
0: Right, because you're seeing e-cycling, you know, e-sports uh, becoming bigger and bigger. Um, there's a ton of different pro series. I mean, partly because of the pandemic, and pro athletes are looking for ways to still make money. But like the Zwift Pro Series, you know, which is paying athletes to ride and race indoors, week after week. Um, but so. Uh, Jim, I know this is more your area of expertise, but talk to us a little bit uh, about your preferred setup and the, some of the equipment that's out there, and, and what your kind of go-tos are, what your preferred um, hardware and software-wise.
2: So, what we when we looked at it for the book, we started looking at the the categories really, um, as opposed to brands and things, because the the equipment is changing so quickly. But there are a couple, there are four different ways you can really train indoors. You can train off grid which is a trainer that's not connected to anything, uh, which is the old trainers, rollers, fluid trainers, things like that, being alone in your basement. As Joe mentioned, some pe- for, for a lot of people, that is the economical it, it, a way to do it and the only way to do it. Um, and the positive side, even if you have other alternatives, is that it's simple. You don't have to worry about connections. You don't have to worry about the internet connection. Uh, you can get on and go. And you have to use internal motivation to for all of the training you have to be able to be motivated to do the work. Uh, the next step is connected using the apps, using a smart trainer or some combination thereof, or just the, the head unit on your own bike uh, and structured workouts, things along those lines. Um, advantages are you don't often have to remember the workout anymore because it's, in, it's programmed in, uh, which can be very helpful for complicated workouts. Um, it, uh, these systems often have regometer mode, which, uh, the, so the trainer is controlling the resistance can be very good for maintaining consistent power. And, you know, from a coaching perspective gives us very nice looking power files. Um, and then it's the entertainment. You can, you can be on something like Zwift or you can be on RGT or Ruby, any of these other ones you can ride in the Swiss Alps. Um, you can recon a course that you're going to use things like that. Um, And then the next step up from that is interactive, which adds the social component, adds an accountability component because you can meet up for group rides, which uh, especially with COVID and everything, the accountability component of getting people to train. Some people are very, very motivated to train. Other people really need that, I'm gonna meet somebody at the coffee shop kind of thing to get them on the bike. Mm -hmm. Um, The interactive apps help with that. And then of course, there's the, as you mentioned, the e-racing and competition. Um, and then the, the downside to the interactive apps, I think Joe would agree, is that people can spend too much time racing, e-racing, group riding, and lose some of the specific training focus from that. And then the last way, which hasn't really been we, – we, has kind of been taken away from us, um, is the together. So that's the indoor classes, um, the group-led sessions, things along those lines. The biggest benefit there is you have hands on coaching. Uh, There's an instructor at the front of the room. There's somebody watching you on the bike. Um, There's somebody who can kind of direct what you're doing and how you're doing it. Uh, There's obviously the social component to it. And the downside to the together training classes often is that there's a lack of progression. So because everybody is coming in for a one off class, it can be hard. But It's not necessarily building on itself the way a training plan would be. So those are uh, how we looked at the different ways that you could train indoors and each of them having some pros and cons and not necessarily being uh, altogether, you know, one being better than the other. They all have their place uh, within indoor cycling.
0: Absolutely, yeah, because I can definitely tell you that uh, I thought I'd I'd used up all my tokens for in terms of when it comes to indoor riding, I thought I was done, you know, I I spent so many winters in the UK riding the trainer, literally just like the old school way. uh, that I thought I would never ride a trainer again, if I had the option of being able to ride on the road. But then Zwift comes along, and I will happily spend two or three hours in my garage, you know, riding on a Sunday morning, if the weather's bad outside. uh, And because there's that element of competition, because there's that element of interaction, which I think really, really appeals, especially at this point in time with obviously COVID and the pandemic, I think it really, really appeals to, to triathletes. Um, and obviously, like you say, there's the, the time and ac- accessibility element to it that's very, very appealing, but there are obviously too some downsides. So because uh, you talked to us a little bit about what happens to the rider who only rides indoors. What happens when they come to race outdoors? Joe?
1: Yeah, um, head-to-head racing and, and, and um, virtual racing are really not exactly the same thing. They're quite similar, but they're not, not the same thing. One of the biggest for triathletes, one of the most important things a triathlete has to be aware of when they're, when they're riding indoors, whether it's in a, in a virtual race or if they're just doing a, a hard uh, race-like workout, is that you must be aeroling. You, that's you don't have to do it indoors. You can you can sit in any position you want to on the bike. I'm sure someday, the way this is changing, trainers and apps will know what your body position is, and it'll slow you down if you sit up. Uh, for hey. example, in a triathlon, uh, you're trying to ride, you know, sitting up. It'll it'll actually uh, cause you to slow down. We're not there yet. That's going to happen. Everything else is coming around, which is amazing. I might, I would say, but. So that will happen. So, so for right now anyway, the athlete has to be very aware that they're training for triathlon. And In triathlon, you don't sit up so you can increase your power output. You have to be in the aero position to de- decrease your, your drag. And so if yep. you're not abiding by that very basic norm of triathlon, then you're really kind of wasting your time by doing that type of training or racing. Uh, because you're learning bad habits. it's it's just a the skill you must have as a triathlete. you must have an aerodynamic position on the bike, otherwise, there's going to be tremendous um, slowing down taking place. so that that's the starting point. Is you have to be aware of the differences between the two. and that for a triathlete is one of the major differences between the two. Um, beyond that, you know there's little things like when you're, when you're in a head-to-head race, you kind of get a sense from seeing the person ahead of you how they're feeling. You can tell what they're, you know, right. how it's going for them just by looking at their body position, their, their breathing rate, um, and as you get closer, you become more aware of the sounds they're making and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And that doesn't exist indoors right now. Again, I probably will eventually, but for right now, you've got you, you're you're really kind of stuck with looking at this this avatar on the screen and and this 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 person is not really giving you all the signs that a real person gives you when they're racing you don't know if they're at their limit or they've got lots of room left to go yet That's just something you don't know and unfortunately that that's just part of the way indoor racing is so there there are just lots of things out there that that are different unique about um racing indoors versus racing outdoors Someday, I suspect, we'll have racing indoors and it'll be the parallel to racing outdoors uh, because that's definitely the direction we're going. But there will always be people who are more comfortable racing outdoors and there'll be people who are more comfortable racing indoors. So so there's going to be this this divergence in in the sport, I think, uh, to some extent, in terms of the types of races people enjoy doing. So we're adding another category to the sport. Um, which is just now blooming, just now starting, but in a few years we'll see what's happened of all this. And I suspect that's the direction we're going.
0: Right, right. And then it wasn't obviously if, a few years ago. The thought of being able to um, practice like any kind of handling skills on an indoor trainer was, you know, completely not even an option. But now we're starting to see the the option of or the viability. You know, it's 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 viable to think about uh, the the cornering or the braking or, I mean, obviously not descending, but um, Jim, talk to us a little bit more, more about some of these, you know, the evolution of some of these skills that we would typically think of as outdoor riding skills.
2: So, yeah, the there isn't a uh, true simulator necessarily yet, but um, the app companies have already signaled that they're going to be uh, in- introducing steering and braking um, there are some steering options already in Zwift. Um, and then the, um, there's a, a some of the smart bikes that will tilt as if we are climbing, uh, or descending. Um, I don't necessarily know that they kind of lean to the side at this point. I um, mean, there are some trainers, uh, indoor trainers that will sway to the side, um, kinetic and, and then Zwift is, I mean, uh, Wahoo's come out with a, a, system that'll allow for more movement there's a company uh, i can't remember the name of it they're making uh, a a individual treadmill version of a train of an indoor trainer Um, so you're actually riding upright um uh, on a trainer in your own home so all of those things are are coming and uh going to be part of it but we're also seeing already as joe said some at least in cycling, there are some racers who are very good outdoors because of the tactics, because of how to use gauge their efforts, because of the you know the ability to ride in in the draft, in the wind, things like that, um, and other riders who are, who are excelling in uh, indoors. My sense, honestly, is that in pro cycling, at least, and potentially in triathlon, eventually you're going to see sponsors and teams who have an outdoor and an indoor a uh, r- rider mm-hmm. component so you may be on the outdoor team or you may be on the indoor team um, and then in some cases you may be kind of on the adventure team kind of like uh, uh, EF pro cycling has a has some riders who really aren't in racing uh, world tour in the year Euro- in Europe but they're doing other events in the US
0: mm-hmm. and what about uh obviously for triathletes um, there's a huge element of uh things like Zwift where you can do race uh race recon uh that is super helpful if you're preparing for a race where you're not you know you're preparing for Kona and you can't get to Kona until the week of the race. Uh how how much do you both uh you know place value on that and where are the, you know what are the sort of pros and cons of that 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 you've seen in terms of you know using using these uh sim you know using this as simulation using this as as um preparation if you like for your race
1: yeah, it's it's a great tool for the athlete who's going to a race that they like Kona as you mentioned, and they can't be there early enough to be able to uh, recon the course. But we've been doing that for a long time. CompuTrainer was doing that, gosh, back in the we're calling back in the eighties, I think, or early nineties, somewhere in there. They they had a, a they had Kona the course, and you could ride the course. Not not nearly as as nice as the stuff we have now, as far as as the apps and such that we have now in the equipment. But you could, you, could, you could preview the course and see the corners and all the turns and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't quite as realistic. But, but mm-hmm. you know, we've been doing that for quite a long time. It's just gotten a lot better in the last few years is, is the main thing that's happened. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great tool for going to a course you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and testing your team? pacing. You know, right.
2: Same course, but what happens if I go harder in the first half? What happens if I save it? What happens if I, you know, attack each of the climbs, or not? Things along those lines.
0: And there's also an element of road safety too. That uh, I know a lot of people who prefer to ride the trainer purely because of the you know the rise in number of cycling accidents and and uh, fatalities that there's been in recent years, unfortunately. Um, so so where do you guys stand on that? Is that something, you know, especially when you've got a specific session that you're trying to hit, is it something that you advocate, you know, your athletes doing and, you know, hit riding on riding the trainer versus riding outdoors for safety reasons?
1: Oh, very definitely. Yeah. I've, I've it, as a coach, I've, I'm often worried about my athletes. I give them very hard workouts to do on the road and I know there's going to be traffic and there's going to be intersections they have to go through and, some people are very safety conscious, and I've discovered many athletes who are not. They just, right. they kind of like to keep their fingers crossed and hope it's not, gonna, it's not gonna happen to them today, and for the most part, it doesn't. But riding indoors takes you know gives, a, gives you that option of doing the workout that it could be very, very difficult to do where you live. I, I, you know, where I live, if I wanna go find a, a flat course to do time trial type work training on i've got to ride my bike something like about 15 miles to get there mm-hmm. and so 15 miles there 15 miles back i've already got 30 miles in and i am so i've still got to do the whatever the workout was once i got there and that's many people have that problem i've had people contact me and say hey you told me you told me to do these to do some hills well I, you know i live in florida there's no hills here so what do i do and you know so it's just so many options that indoor training gives us in terms of that sort of thing. It's a great, it's a great tool. Mm -hmm.
2: The other component of that is the intensity factor. So, if somebody's doing a really high intensity interval session, um, you know, we see it from the track athletes. Sometimes um, they can empty the tank to the point where they're really almost falling off the bike or their heads are dropping or they're, Mm -hmm. they're pushing all the way through the end of the interval. And that's not necessarily safe to do on the road. Uh, we don't want – You have to reserve some level of energy to stay upright, stay out of traffic, um, keep yourself safe. Indoors, you don't have to reserve that, um, mm-hmm. that energy. You can literally put it all out and fall off the bike. Not, I mean, that's not hopefully what you're doing, but it, it, you can really empty the tank um, on some of the hardest workouts.
0: Right. And so I guess, too, it's also a great time to focus on things that you, when you're riding indoors, it's a great time to focus on things like technical aspects of cycling that you might not necessarily think about, such as pedaling. You know, this is and I know is something you talk about in the book, pedaling efficiency. And I think this time of year is also a great time for triathletes, uh, cyclists to focus on this sort of thing. How does riding indoors, riding on the trainer, lend itself to improving something like pedaling efficiency?
1: Yeah, it's becoming any more such that the difference between riding indoors and outdoors as far as pedaling technique and other skills we mentioned earlier um, are really not that that difficult. But if an athlete doesn't have one of these newer trainers and is using, you know, one of the older trainers, a magnetic trainer or a wind trainer or a fluid trainer, the old types of trainers we had back in the 90s and early 2000s, you're just not going to get the same numbers. If a person has a power meter and you're trying to compare your indoor power with your outdoor power using a trainer like that, uh, the data is going to tell you that there's something wrong. I can't produce the number of indoors. I I can't outdoors. And it's simply because when you're riding one of those types of trainers, every time the pedals come to the 12 and six o'clock position, the back wheel begins to slow down because of the resistance on the, on the wheel when you're indoors Mm -hmm. on that type of trainer outdoors or on today's trainers with flywheels, that doesn't happen. Um, There's momentum on the back wheel and that wheel continues to move as you go through the 12 and six o'clock position of the pedals. So if you're riding indoors on an older trainer, you just have to become used to the idea that the numbers are not gonna be the same. Probably not even gonna be close. And so it requires that you then begin to adapt to the trainer. You've got to learn how to pedal on that type of trainer again, with today's newer trainers, that's not the case at all now. It's much different than it used to be. Now we can pretty much do the same thing indoors that we do outdoors. But so that, that's something that's changed dramatically just in the last few years. Mm-hmm.
2: But Joe, physiologically, if somebody's numbers are different, the, just the numbers, um, can the training effect for them be the same? Because the numbers are, are looking at what you're doing, but the the physiology of the exercise is actually happening internally.
1: Yeah. So what's happening in that situation I described a while ago with the older trainers is that the athlete is losing their economy is suffering. It's costing a lot more energy to produce the same power output. That's, that's what's, that's what's taking place. That's the change that's taking place. Physiologically, the body won't recognize much difference, but there will be some differences there. You know, the muscles aren't working quite as hard, because they're not using the same pattern to drive the pedals as they did on the road. They're now using a different pattern to drive the pedals. And so consequently, that has a big effect on, on the numbers we produce. But the body is still straining against this. There's still some stress associated with this type of training. So the benefit is still going to be there. It's just that it's, it's going to be somewhat different than what you saw indoors. If the FTP, for example, for an athlete, that say, is 300 watts, On the road and they test indoors or do workouts indoors and find that the numbers are something smaller they may be like 280 to 290 so the difference the numbers are going to be they're going to be different and they could even be significantly different for that athlete but for some athletes the difference is really rather small because they're pretty good already at pedaling in a way that makes them more economical indoors on the old type trainers I won't go into details of what that means, but there's just a different way of pedaling the bicycle. If, if you do that, then you're not going to experience a dramatic change. There'll still be a drop a little bit, but not quite as much as for the athlete who is not very good economically at pedaling their bicycle. That'll that'll be the big change for them.
0: Right. So you mentioned there the those famous three letters FTP, which uh, got my gets my brain thinking about workouts and training, and training benefits and and I know we'd already mentioned or talked about some of your go-to indoor bike workouts, but uh, what what are some of you? So, what are some of your favorite preferred indoor bike workouts, Joe? Well, uh, I know you've written a few over the years.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll go into the details of the workouts with, with a couple of exceptions, but the ones I'd highly recommend are, you know, I, when I do this, I classify workouts in six categories, not counting tests, okay. the seventh category all by itself. Six categories of workouts. The most important, since triathlon is endurance sport, the most important type of workout is what I call aerobic endurance training, which means low intensity, easy, zones one and two. That is the hardest workout there is to get an athlete to do. It's the mm-hmm. easiest of all the workouts, but it's the hardest to get them to do because athletes tend to feel like they're not making any progress when they train easily at low intensity. Uh, so. And I've been arguing this with athletes for 40 years. The last, the last 15 years or so, we now have research to prove I'm right. Um, the research that's been coming out of uh, many, many uh, universities over the last several years this started in Norway with a, uh, a researcher by the name of Stephen Seiler, who, by the way, is Texan. A, a Texan, but he's he's a, he's a he's, a, he's a Norwegian now, also teaching. And he started doing some research on what became known as polarization or the 80/20 mm-hmm. concept, which I'm sure almost all athletes have heard now. I would suspect you won't find very many athletes who have never heard of 80/20. They've heard of it. The problem is getting them to do it. That's the problem. Right. Because they go out right. for a ride and one zones one and two just feel like I'm not accomplishing anything here. I need to do a little bit harder. And it's just like Goldilocks. Zone three feels just right. But it's really just wrong. when You're getting very little out of zone three. Unless you're training for a half Ironman, 70.3, you're not getting much out of a zone three workout. And that, by the way, should be saved. Even that should be saved until the end, the last few weeks before the race. Up until that time, we need lots and lots of zone one and zone two, and the athletes just don't want to do it. So right. when I was coaching, I told athletes, number one, you have to do this. I'm going to look at your data. I'm going to hold you accountable that you did it. And number two, do not do these workouts with anybody else. Do not ride with a partner. As soon as you bring on another person riding alongside you, you can forget zone one and zone two. It's gone. We're going to be in zone three, four, or five. That's where we're going to be from now on. It's rare to find a group of athletes who will do that, who will ride in zones one and two in a way that that works for all of the athletes in that group. Obviously, there's lots of different groups, but trying to find just a, a single person who does it is very, very difficult. But the research tells us, has told us time and again, for more than a decade now, that it works, regardless of your level of performance, and regardless of your experience, it is very, very beneficial, but athletes won't do it. I would say that's the number one workout well, I've been doing clinics for the last several months for triathlon clubs around the U.S. and in the U.K., and I've told them there are two type, two things I want them to do in this pandemic. and I'm just trying to explain how to get through the pandemic. Five days a week, I tell them, do easy workouts, zone one and zone two. And if you take a day off, that's one of those easy days. So five days a week are easy. Two days a week are hard. Five days easy are all zones one and two. The two days that are hard are up around zone four and zone five. And we're going to do very brief workouts They're very short 30 second repeats, for example, in zone five. It may be a total of 20 minutes of intervals in zone four. Anybody, almost any athlete who's been in the sport for two or three years can do that without any problem whatsoever. The upper end of it, the lower end is where they're going to have problems. So I've got, so I cajole them explain them why. And I go through all the details you guys. I'm sure uh, Emma case you're aware of uh, Gwen Jorgensen, who won the gold medal in the last Olympics U.S. Uh, triathlete. Uh, she started doing this back before 2016 when she won the gold 80-20 training. And um, uh, what she found was, was, for example, in her running, that her average running pace went down per week. She was getting slower in terms of average running pace. But... Her running paces were getting faster and she went on to win a gold medal. So, even though her average running pace was slow by what compared to what she'd been doing previously, she was racing faster. So, it's so difficult to get people, athletes to accept that is going to happen to them also. But I've seen it happen to so many athletes. Just get them to slow down on easy days and they'll be so much, they'll, they'll, they'll accomplish much more in terms of aerobic fitness and also have more. Um, readiness to go when it's time to do one of those hard workouts. So that's really the key I would would say to athletes is is to do that. Five days a week, easy, zones one and two, two days a week, hard. If they do that, I can almost guarantee them, if they've been doing something else, they'll make improvement.
0: Right, right, right,
2: right. And And for for, for me, the only thing I would add, I love Joe's system, when... You're doing those harder workouts and you have the intervals. My only addition is I like to have people or like to see people switch erg mode on and off if they're indoors. So right. some of those intervals, okay, use erg mode, get the perfect power output, et cetera, hit, hit a target power. But some of those intervals, even within the same workout, turn erg mode off so that you can generate that power Based on uh, you reaching and sustaining that power, you driving the trainer as opposed to the trainer trainer driving you,
0: right? To get maximum training benefit out of it, and and gear selection and those sorts of things, I assume, yes.
2: Yeah, um, the um, gear selection and, and everything, as well as just the, I think it's more the mental fortitude, the ability that mm. you're on race day, you're going to have to do this on your own. Um, people can get into a mode where they just kind of check out mentally and keep their legs going because of of ERG mode. Um, And that's different than producing that power when there isn't um, resistance being provided for you.
0: And just briefly explain though, for, for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with ERG mode what that is.
2: So, work mode is, um, at this point, electrically braked um, uh, trainers. So, the trainer is controlling how much resistance you're pedaling against. So, if Joe writes a uh, workout for me and says, you need to do six minutes at 300 watts, I plug that in or I have the workout downloaded to um, one of the apps or to the computer head and the, the uh, trainer will sit at 300 watts. For that given period of time, no matter how fast I pedal, no matter what gear I'm in, it will continue to put out, give me that Mm. resistance. Um, It's and it's inescapable. So, um, one of the things that happened early on in erg mode was people would get stuck because their cadence would keep going down and down and down. The wheel would slow down, and the resistance would keep going up in order to Mm. meet the the, uh, required resistance. And eventually, they couldn't move the pedals. the The app companies and and everybody have- adjust, have uh have met that challenge by once you reach a certain point it'll release the tension and let you get back up to a moderate or reasonable cadence before putting the uh the resistance back on but yeah the erg mode is great for coaches because it it gives us perfect power files It's just whether or not that is um always going to be what the athlete could do on their own um without the trainer doing it for them.
0: Yes. An, ele- an element, maybe this is too strong of a word, but an element of cheating you know, or short- short-cutting. You know, like, or there's an old-fashioned part of me there that's like, yeah. Do I, well, I as like Joe that? was talking
2: about earlier, people change the way they pedal. So mm-hmm. if, the, if the resistance is, if I, all I have to do is keep up with the resistance that the trainer is putting on me, I can change or you can end up changing your position on the bike and how you ride. As Joe was saying, you have to hold a an aero position uh, for triathlon. Yeah. If I'm at the end of one of those time trial intervals and the trainer is holding me at a certain power output, ri- raising up out of that aero position may be the only way I can ho- maintain that power. Mm-hmm. So people will change the way they're, they're pedaling um, because of trying to keep up with the trainer. Whereas in that same interval, for for instance, or without erg mode, yeah, we'd see the power output sli- slowly drop towards the end of that interval um, on the power, person's power file, and that's indicative of information the coach needs um, right. to see.
0: Yes. Yep. Okay. Well, let's wrap up with a few fun questions. Uh, so, Joe, you've obviously been in the sport as you've already mentioned since the late seventies, early eighties. In that time, I'm sure you've had a few favorite athletes or coaches or people you've just really enjoyed working with. Give us a few, uh, a few insights, a few snippets, a few, a few names.
1: Yeah, let me start. With na- let me start with an athlete I coached, who is now a coach himself. Um, he's like a he's like a son to me now. In uh, uh, 1997, I got a phone call from a guy whose name I had seen, but he was brand new to the sport. And i he, he was calling to talk about qualifying for the Olympics. It was gonna be the 2000 wow. games, first Olympics where we had triathlon in Sydney. And so I was getting lots of contacts from people, mostly daydreaming about becoming Olympians. And so here's one more, you know, the, the way I looked at it. And the more I got talking to him, the more I realized this guy really had some potential. His name was Ryan Bolton. And uh, Ryan, long story, I won't go into all the details, but uh, he overcame a lot of uh, setbacks to qualify for the U.S. Olympic team in 2000. Uh, unfortunately, had a crash on the last lap in Sydney. Uh, it was a big crash that took place, and he was exactly where he was supposed to be. So there was nothing he did wrong. It was just somebody touched wheels going around a corner, and he went down. He spent the rest of the race trying to catch up. And so consequently, he didn't get what we thought he was capable of doing. I thought he was capable of at least a top 10, maybe even a top five. And really, he was one of the fastest runners in the world at that time, as far as triathlon was concerned. And so I could even see him getting to the podium. But that crash just was very devastating for him. He decided after that, after that race, that he wanted to take up Ironman. So he did. He he won uh, the U.S. National Championship in Ironman back in 2002, um, and then retired in 2004 and, uh, went on to become a coach himself. Now he has his own coaching company in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, does a great job. He's got some really good coaches working for him. People I've coached myself or worked with as as coaches with me. And it's just, he's been, he was one of the, uh, one of the bright spots in my entire life, quite honestly. It wasn't just a bright spot in my coaching. He's like a son. Um, he's part of the family. And uh, so yeah. he's, he's just very, very important to me and, and still one of the best people I've ever known in my life, just as far as having good good people around you. You couldn't go wrong with somebody like Ryan Bolton.
0: Yes, we actually had him on the podcast uh, many yeah. months ago now, and uh, he spoke equally as highly of you. So that's, uh, that's always good to hear. Yeah, thank you. But, um, yeah. Okay, Jim, what about you? Some uh, some predictions for the future of indoor riding. Pull out your crystal ball for us and um, tell us what you think. How, how's indoor riding going to look in five years' time?
2: Um, again, I think it's going to be uh, the virtual worlds that are available are going to get more and more intricate. Uh, the gamification of indoor cycling is going to continue. Um Swift right now, for instance, or RGT or any of the others, um, they're sticking relatively closely to to simulating outdoor environments that we're used to. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, there's no reason why they have to continue that way. Um, so it doesn't have to look like a desert or some other natural feature that that we could recognize. It could be. Any virtual world, um, so I think there's going to be some of that. I think there's going to be um, more of the uh, from a game standpoint, things that you can either earn or win or points or things along those lines um, that will come into it. Um, and as I said, from a from a professional standpoint or from a an athlete standpoint, I do think that we're not only going to see um, more racing uh, from professionals on. Uh, on virtual platforms but that there's the next step in professional sports for endurance sports are going to be hybrid teams there are athletes who um are on their outdoor team on their indoor team and on sort of their influencer team as well
0: very cool yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens and uh we wish you both very well with the book and uh all your future endeavors thank you so much for joining us today it's been a pleasure Thank you. Thank you, Joe and Jim, for joining us, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast, rate and review it. It helps us out and it helps others like you find it. We'll be back in four weeks with episode 12. Until then, happy training.